Amen. God is uncomparable, incomparable, and it's good for us to consider his greatness and to worship him. What a joy today to take that forward look and then just to sing together of God's greatness and his glory. Would you pray with me? Father, what a joy it has been to worship you this morning, and we are so grateful for Jesus. We have sung about just the incredible sacrifice that he made, his power, his glory, his death, his resurrection. We have beheld him this morning and expressed our our praise and gratitude to you. And we've already received from you as we have beheld you and been blessed. We would pray now that as we continue in this time of worship together corporately, that you would, by your Spirit, instruct our hearts, that we would come to a greater understanding of you through your Word, and that we would leave challenged, encouraged, and motivated to follow you. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. You may be seated. As everyone is getting situated, I just want to kind of let you know of the situation with our uh, students and uh, those juniors and seniors that were ministering in Sinaloa, Mexico uh, this past week. Um, they did make it down there. It was a little bit difficult. They were among the group who um, had their flights canceled by Southwest. So instead of being able to go directly to San Diego, they went to um, Phoenix and then uh, they drove from Phoenix um, to uh, San Diego and crossed the border in Tijuana, picked up a plane there and flew down to Las Mochis. Had a great time of ministering alongside the Warrens uh, in Mochicawi, um, Sinaloa, Mexico. And then later this week, um, the Federales uh, picked up uh, Guzman. He is the son of El Chapo, the head of the Sinaloa drug cartel. And in response to that, um, the uh, uh, the Sicarios, the group of um, people that follow him, um, protested by um, attacking federal soldiers and uh, shooting up stuff and burning vehicles, setting roadblocks. And because of that, Aeromexico canceled flights. Most of the most of the um, anarchy was down in a different city from where um, the teens were, about two and a half hours away. But because the flights were canceled, they had to come up with another plan. And so they drove to uh, Tucson, Arizona, and they arrived there uh, late last night or early this morning, and um, they are scheduled to fly out around 4. We'll be arriving in Kansas City around 12.30 a.m., so it's been quite a, uh, quite a journey, and we're grateful for how God used them. We're grateful for God's protection over them, and it's just a great reminder of what our missionaries, the Warrens, um, experience as they serve the Lord in that place. Um, they are uh, right there in the thick of it, and uh, Brian has said many times, man, we couldn't feel more uh, safe uh, where we are just because of the Lord. I want to invite you to open your Bibles again to Daniel chapter 9. We're in Daniel chapter 9 this morning, and it's been a while since we've been in Daniel, so it might be helpful for us to do just a little bit of review to sort of set the context for how uh, we got to where we are. 
If you kind of go back in history, you'll remember that following the exodus out of Egypt under Moses, Israel entered into a covenant with God. The terms of this covenant were that if Israel was faithful to God and out of a sincere, heartfelt love for Him, followed His commandments, then they would experience incredible blessing from God. But if they rebelled against God and forsook this covenant, God said that He would discipline them. That life would not be filled with blessing. Rather, life would be filled with cursing. And Israel agreed to follow God. And they agreed to express their love for Him by obeying all that He commanded. However, sadly, Israel was not faithful to that covenant. For centuries, they rebelled against God. And after years of idolatry and pursuing sin, along with rejecting God's gracious warnings through His prophets, Israel positioned herself for judgment. In the terms of the covenant that they agreed to, one of the consequences for rejecting God was to be removed from the land of promise. And in 722 B.C., God used the nation of Assyria as an instrument in His hand to invade the northern kingdom of Israel and remove them from the land. And about a hundred years after that, the southern kingdom of Judah was also removed from the land. Starting in 605 B.C. and ending in 586 B.C., King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon had swept into Jerusalem He had destroyed the temple, and he had carried Judah to Babylon in three major deportations. But even though Israel and Judah were out of the land of promise, God was not finished with them. The promises that he made both in the Abrahamic and in the Davidic covenant still awaited a future fulfillment. Well, one of those taken in that first deportation to Babylon was a young Jewish boy of about 15 years old named Daniel. While in Babylon, God blessed and gifted Daniel, exalting him to a position of prominence and influence. And it was through Daniel that God unfolded his plans not only for the world, but specifically for his people. God disclosed that four major world empires, Babylon, Medo-Persia, Greece, and then Rome, would dominate the landscape of human history until the Messiah came. And when he came, he would overthrow the kingdoms of men and he would set up his kingdom. Oh, by the time that we come to Daniel chapter 9, the Babylonian kingdom has just been conquered by the Medo-Persian kingdom. It is the year 537 B.C., and the Jews have been in Babylon for around 68 years. Daniel is no longer a youth of 15. He is now an old man in his 80s. One day, while Daniel was studying the the scrolls of Jeremiah, 
he discovered a significant prophecy that Jeremiah had recorded about a hundred years earlier. In this prophecy, Jeremiah had warned prior to the Babylonian captivity that Judah would be taken captive into Babylon. However, Jeremiah also said that their time in Babylon would only be 70 years. And so Daniel is studying the scroll and he's doing the math and he realized that those 70 years were almost complete. In just a couple of years, God's people would be released to return to the land of promise and again worship God. But Daniel discovered that the condition for this restoration required repentance. God's people had still not repented of the sins that led to their captivity. And so Daniel went to work. He put on sackcloth. He covered himself in ashes. He fasted and he confessed Israel's sins. Daniel called on God to extend mercy, to forgive their sin and restore them to the land of promise so they could worship him in a rebuilt temple. And as we come to verse 20 in Daniel chapter 9, we come to God's response to Daniel's prayer. Now, while the majority of this chapter records Daniel's prayer, it is actually God's response to Daniel's prayer that everything is intended to point us to. God's response to Daniel's prayer included revealing an incredible prophecy in verses 24 through 27 that reveals what God has decreed for Israel's future. And we'll look at that in detail next time. This morning, we're going to consider verses 20 through 23, which gives us the setting for that very important prophecy. So I want to invite you to stand and follow along as I read these four verses, and we'll begin with verse 20, and we'll end in verse 23. You follow along. Daniel says, while I was speaking and praying confessing my sin and the sin of my people Israel and presenting my plea before the Lord my God for the holy hill of my God, while I was speaking in prayer, the man Gabriel, whom I had seen in the vision at the first, came to me in swift flight at the time of the evening sacrifice. He made me understand, speaking with me and saying, O Daniel, I have now come out to give you insight and understanding. At the beginning of your pleas for mercy, a word went out, and I have come to tell it to you, for you are greatly loved. Therefore, consider the word and understand the vision. Thank you. You may be seated. Now, these verses show us how God responded to Daniel's prayer. And there are four observations about God's response to Daniel's prayer that I would like us to consider this morning. First, from verse 20, consider that God's response to prayer comes only if we pray. God's response to prayer comes only if we pray. Now, this is such an obvious statement that it 
really doesn't even need to be said. But if Daniel hadn't poured out his heart to God in verses 4 through 19, then there would be no response from God in verses 20 through 27. See, this is what James 4.2 says. You do not have because you do not what? Ask. You see, God hears and God answers prayer. But we will only get a response to prayer if we pray. Now, verse 20 is actually a summary of Daniel's prayer in verses 4 through 19. And while he was still praying, God responded by sending the angel Gabriel He says in verse 20 that Gabriel came while I was speaking and praying, confessing my sin and the sins of the people Israel and presenting my plea before the Lord my God for the holy hill of my God. Now in this summary statement of Daniel's prayer, we see three things that prayer involves. Notice with me that prayer involves verbally communing with God. Daniel said that God sent Gabriel. When? He sent Gabriel while, he says, I was speaking and praying. I think it's significant that Daniel said, I was speaking. Speaking with whom? He was speaking verbally with the one true sovereign God of all flesh. He was speaking personally with the creator of all things. He was speaking prayerfully with the king of kings and the Lord of lords. He was coming boldly before the throne of grace to find mercy and grace to help in time of need. It's humbling to me when someone says, Mike, I just want you to know that I have been praying for you. The fact that someone has spoken directly to God about me and my needs is staggering when I think about it. How different that is from when someone says, well, my thoughts are with you, or I'll be sending my thoughts your way. What does that even mean? What can that even accomplish? That's not prayer. Prayer is speaking with God. This past Monday night, over 23 million people watched Buffalo Bill defensive back DeMar Hamlin collapse on the field after making a tackle. His heart stopped beating, and for about nine minutes, uh, he was administered CPR. Now, TV commentators typically work really hard to go out of their way to ignore the fact that there's a God. But what happened on Monday Night Football was so shocking and the announcers were so stunned that they surprisingly went off script. The situation was was helpless. The players were gathered on the field taking a knee, not in protest of our nation, taking a knee in prayer, beseeching the God of heaven. And they couldn't help but acknowledge God and ask people to pray for DeMar Hamlin. One commentator on the NFL Network even prayed out loud on air, asking God to intervene, to show grace, and to heal DeMar Hamlin. That's what prayer is. It is recognizing that there is a God, a God who is able to do exceedingly abundantly beyond what we can ask or think. 
So when Daniel prayed in verses 4 through 19, he wasn't sending good thoughts. He wasn't just thinking of Israel. He was speaking verbally and personally and prayerfully and boldly to the only one in the universe who could do anything about Israel's situation. Listen, you'll never get a response to prayer from God unless you speak to Him in prayer. So prayer involves verbally communing with God. Second, prayer involves honestly confessing to God. Not only was Daniel speaking and praying, he said in verse 20, that he was also confessing my sin and the sin of my people, Israel. Now, what strikes me about Daniel's confession up in verses 4 through 19 is that it's so comprehensive. Daniel confessed how God's people had broken God's law, how they had neglected God's worship, and how they had ignored God's prophets. They had turned their back on God. They were guilty. And the Babylonian captivity, as Daniel confessed, was just. But Daniel wasn't merely confessing the sin of his people. He said, I was confessing my sin. My sin. Do you know that as you look in Scripture, you'll never find any record of Daniel being anything but totally and faithfully committed to God. And yet, he honestly confessed his own sin and acknowledged his need of forgiveness. And we're all there, aren't we? We all sin. Proverbs 20, verse 9 asks the question, Who can say, I've made my heart pure? I am clean from my sin. The answer to that is no one. We can't make ourselves clean. That's why we need God to cleanse us from our sin, and we need God to make our hearts pure. You see, as we confess our sins to God in prayer, what we're doing basically is uncovering them, exposing them, and bringing them to light with the confidence that if we confess our sins, that God is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So prayer involves verbally communing with God and honestly confessing to God. Third, notice that prayer involves specifically pleading before God. Back in verse 20, Daniel said that he was speaking and praying and confessing his sin and presenting my plea before the Lord my God for the holy hill of my God. Now, Daniel's plea concerned God's holy hill. This is a reference to Jerusalem, the site where Solomon built the temple. Back in verse 16, if you look, Daniel said, Here's his plea. O Lord, according to all your righteous acts, let your anger and your wrath turn away from your city, Jerusalem, your holy hill. You see, Daniel's petition to God was not general. It was very specific. He asked God to remove his wrath. His prayer was for God to extend mercy and once again restore worship in Jerusalem for the sake of God's glory. Because that was the burden of Daniel's heart. That's what Daniel prayed. Listen, when you and I pray, it is not to inform God of our needs. God 
already knows everything about us and he knows what we need. Prayer is to express our heart to God and then put those concerns into words so we can give them to God. 1 Peter 5, 7 says, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. So if you want God to respond to prayer, you must pray. Why? Because God's response to prayer comes only if we pray. Well, as we move to verse 21, we see a second observation about God's response to prayer. Here we see that God's response to prayer comes in unexpected ways. It comes in unexpected ways. Now, Daniel continues explaining God's response to his prayer in verse 21, saying that while I was speaking in prayer, the man Gabriel, whom I had seen in the vision at the first, came to me in swift flight at the time of the evening sacrifice. He made me understand, speaking with me and saying, O Daniel, I have now come out to give you insight and understanding. From this verse, we see four unexpected ways that God responded to Daniel's prayer. First, notice that God responded before Daniel finished praying. Notice how quickly God answered Daniel's prayers. Daniel says, it was while I was speaking in prayer. Not after. It was while. You see, before Daniel even finished praying, God sent Gabriel to him. Now, how many of you know that there are times when God responds to prayer long after he hears that prayer? Any of you still waiting on God to answer prayers? And there are other times when God's responses to prayer are immediate. For instance, you may remember from Acts 12 that after killing James the Apostle, King Herod Agrippa I arrested Peter and put him in prison. And when the church in Jerusalem learned this, they gathered together in order to pray. And while they were praying, God sent an angel who woke Peter up and told him to get up. The chains fell off Peter's hands, and the angel led him out of the prison. And when Peter immediately then went to the house where the church was gathered, he found them still praying. So sometimes God's response to prayer is immediate. Like this morning, some of you confess sin to God, and I can tell you that that cleansing is immediate. It's immediate. However, sometimes... God's response to prayer is not immediate. And if God's response to prayer seems delayed, it is not because God isn't able to act. It is because He has an important reason to not act in that moment. A reason known only to Him and His purposes. Notice there's a second unexpected way that God responded to Daniel's prayer. God responded by sending an angel. Now, before Daniel finished praying, God sent the angel Gabriel to Daniel. Daniel says in verse 21, that the man Gabriel, whom I had seen in the vision at the first, came to me. Now, God, or Daniel rather, calls Gabriel a man here. And he does this because that's how Gabriel appeared to him. But angels aren't men. Angels in the Bible are called ministering spirits. In fact, referring to angels, the writer of Hebrews states, are they not all ministering spirits sent out to serve for the sake of those who are to inherit salvation? 
You see, as ministering spirits sent by God to serve, angels always do the bidding of God. That is, good or elect angels. And the four times that Gabriel shows up in Scripture, he is sent by God to deliver an important message. He does it in Daniel 8. He does it in Luke 1 twice, once to Mary, telling her that she's going to give birth to the Messiah, and then also to uh, John the Baptist's father, Zechariah. In fact, Luke 1.19, Gabriel says to Zechariah, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God, and I was sent to speak to you and bring you this good news. Gabriel always comes from the presence of God. And God sent him to deliver an important message to Daniel in response to his prayer. Now, Gabriel's unexpected arrival indicates that God heard Daniel's prayer and was now responding to Daniel's request. But notice, not only did God respond before Daniel finished praying and respond by sending an angel, there's a third unexpected way that God responded. He responded at a significant time. Nothing that God does is ever by coincidence. Everything God does is always intentional. And the end of verse 21 says that Gabriel, Daniel says, came to me in swift flight at the time of the evening sacrifice. Now the fact that Gabriel came in swift flight indicates God's immediate response to his prayer, but that's not the emphasis. The emphasis is not how Gabriel arrived, but when And he says it was at the time of the evening sacrifice. But here's the deal. The temple in Jerusalem was in ruins. And there hadn't been a sacrifice there for nearly 70 years. And yet, Daniel still marked Gabriel's arrival by the evening sacrifice, as if he were still in Jerusalem. Now, what's so significant about the evening sacrifice? Well, if you were to go back to Numbers 28, verses 3 through 5, you would see that the evening sacrifice called for a lamb without blemish to be offered as a burnt offering. And you would also find that this evening sacrifice occurred around 3 p.m. This is referred to in the New Testament as the ninth hour. Did you realize that all four gospel accounts confirm that that is precisely when Jesus was crucified? Is it just a coincidence that the hour of the evening sacrifice that was instructed back in Numbers was also the hour when Jesus, the Lamb of God, was crucified? No, there is a very important connection. You see, the evening sacrifice of an unblemished lamb was intended to point to the future sacrifice of the Son of God. You see, Jesus was the spotless Lamb of God who once for all put away sin by the sacrifice of Himself on the cross. And as we will see next time, the message that Gabriel was sent to give to Daniel at the time of the evening sacrifice was a message that foretold when this Messiah would come. And that message indicated that when He comes, He will finish the transgression, he will put an end to sin, and he will atone for iniquity. How? By being cut off. That is, by being put to death. So God responded to Daniel's prayer in some unexpected ways. It was before Daniel finished praying. He 
It was by sending an angel, and it was by coming at a significant time. But there's a fourth unexpected way that God responded to Daniel's prayer. He responded by providing more than Daniel had asked. Remember that in his prayer in verses 4 through 19, Daniel had asked for restoration and forgiveness. He had asked God to restore his people spiritually and restore the temple in Jerusalem physically. However, Gabriel came to provide Daniel with more. Look at verse 22. Daniel says, He made me understand, speaking with me, saying, O Daniel, I have now come out to give you insight and understanding. Well, the question is, what did Daniel need to understand? Twelve years earlier, back in chapter 8, Daniel was given a revelation about the future in the form of a vision. And Daniel wrote at the conclusion of chapter 8 in verse 27 that he still didn't understand it. In fact, it perplexed him. And it actually made him ill for several days. So 12 years later, God sent Gabriel again in response to Daniel's prayer in chapter 9 in order to give Daniel insight and understanding. And Gabriel revealed in verses 24 through 27 that Jerusalem and its temple would be restored. But he also revealed when the promised Messiah would come. You see, God's response to prayer often far exceeds what we ask. In Ephesians 3.20, it says that He is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think. You see, God always gives us what we don't deserve. And He always gives us what we need. But He often gives us more than we expect. So God's response to prayer comes only when we pray, and it comes in ways we may not expect. As we come to verse 23, we see thirdly that God's response to prayer comes as an affirmation of His love. Listen, God doesn't have to respond to your prayers, or to my prayers, or to Daniel's prayers, but He graciously does. Why? It's because of who He is. It's because of His great love. Gabriel said to Daniel in verse 23, At the beginning of your pleas for mercy, a word went out, and I have come to tell it to you, for you are greatly loved. Now this verse answers three important questions about God's loving response to Daniel's prayer. The first question is, when did God hear Daniel's prayer? Like, when did he hear the prayer? I'm not talking about just part of the prayer, but when did he hear the whole prayer? Because Gabriel said, Daniel, God heard your prayer at the beginning of your pleas for mercy. You see, God heard all that was in Daniel's heart when he first began his prayer. And so he sent Gabriel immediately to go and encourage Daniel. What this means is that God's response to prayer is not contingent on how long we pray or on how eloquent our prayers might sound or on how passionate we might be in our prayer. We know this because God responded to Daniel's prayer at the beginning, not at the end. So Gabriel was sent by God before Daniel even finished the first sentence of his prayer. What this illustrates is that what we say to God on earth is heard by God in heaven before we even say it. 
That's what Psalm 139.4 says. David says, even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it all together. So there are times when God answers our prayer even before we pray it because He knows what we need before we ask Him. And Jesus said in Matthew 6, 8 that your Father knows what you need before you ask. Listen, God knows what you're going to say even before you do, so He already knows what you need. So here's a question. Why pray? I mean, if God already knows, why pray? Listen, it is because God uses prayer as the means through which He has chosen to work His purposes. See, God delights in answering your prayers. That's why Jesus said in Matthew 7, verses 7 and 8, Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. And the one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, it will be opened. So God heard Daniel's prayer. When? As soon as he started praying. This leads to a second question. How? How did God respond to Daniel's prayer? Well, Gabriel said that at the beginning of your pleas for mercy, a word went out, and I have come to tell it to you. This gives us some incredible insight into what happened in heaven when Daniel started praying. At the beginning of his prayer, God responded by sending out a word, that is, by sending out a message. So a message went out. But what was the message that went out? It was the message of verse 24 through 27, which disclosed the future for Daniel's, Daniel's people, Israel. This was a message of hope about the coming Messiah and the salvation that he would bring. But it was also a message of warning about the future suffering that God's people would endure. So God responded to Daniel's prayer by sending out a word about the future. But why? Why did God respond to Daniel's prayer? That's the third question. Well, Gabriel told Daniel it was because you are greatly loved. You see, God responded to Daniel's prayer simply because he loved Daniel. By the way, Daniel will be addressed as greatly loved two more times in chapter 10. The word translated greatly loved means highly esteemed or, or viewed as precious. So God considered Daniel to be his beloved, special treasure. Was this because Daniel refused to defile himself with the king's food back in chapter 1? Was it because no fault could be found in Daniel? Was it because he chose to disobey the government prayer ban and to be fed to the lions instead? No. You see, God's love is not in response to what we do. God's love is not based on our performance. There is nothing that you can do that would cause God to love you any less, and there is nothing you can do to cause God to love you any more. You see, Daniel was greatly loved simply because God chose to love him. But this is not unique to Daniel. This is also true of you and me. 
1 John 4.10 says, In this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation or the satisfying atonement for our sins. In verse 19, John writes, We love because He first loved us. You see, God greatly loves His children. In 1 John 3, 1, John says, See what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called the children of God. And so we are. What this means is that if you are a born-again believer in Jesus Christ, then you are God's child. And if you are God's child, He loves you. And it's because He loves you that He responds to your prayer. Well, at the end of verse 23, we see one final observation about God's response to prayer that we need to make. And it is this, that God's response to prayer comes with a personal responsibility. Gabriel has just told Daniel that a word went out as soon as he began his prayer, and then Gabriel assigned Daniel a responsibility. At the end of verse 23, he said, Therefore, consider the word and understand the vision. You see, with God's response to Daniel's prayer, there was a responsibility. Daniel was to consider the word and understand the vision. Well, what word was Daniel to consider? It was the word that went out. It was the message of verses 24 through 27 that we're going to consider next time. You see, in these verses, Gabriel is going to explain that the word that went out was about the future of Daniel's people Israel. And because Daniel was to consider it, literally Daniel was to discern what this message meant because of its importance. So Daniel was given the responsibility to discern the answer that God gave in response to prayer. And the same is true for you and me. When we pray, God responds. And when God responds, we are to consider what He has done because what God does is so significant. Now, some of you get discouraged when you pray. Some of you feel like, you know, my prayers are just sort of pinging off the ceiling. They're not going anywhere. You know what this should encourage you with? That God understands your heart. And knows what you need even before you pray, even before you ask him. So all that is, when you feel like your prayers are just pinging off the ceiling, all that is is your emotion. It has nothing to do with reality. Because what gets your prayers through the ceiling is not how passionate you are. It's not how eloquent you are. It's not how long you pray. It has nothing to do with that. It has to do with your heart honestly, sincerely and genuinely coming before God. And why can you do that? Because you, if you're a child of God, are greatly loved. Man, I'm ready to pray. I'm ready to start taking some things to God and asking God to do great things. Are you? And you might be surprised 
You might be surprised how God responds to that prayer, and you might be surprised that he gives you more than you ask. Father, thank you so much for giving us this little prelude to this powerful section in verses 24 through 27. We thank you for just being able to sort of slow down a little bit and and think about prayer and your response to prayer. And what we've seen this morning really exalts you and helps us in our thinking to comprehend the reality that you hear prayer, that you hear our heart, even before we're able to express it. And we're so glad that you ask us to express it because it helps us to to articulate what we're thinking and what we're feeling because we need to do that. So thank you, God, for being faithful, for delighting in the prayer of the upright, for inviting us to call upon you, for giving us access to the throne of grace all because of Jesus. And for those who are here without Jesus, may they this morning come to that place by your spirit where they see their great need and they would cry out, as did the publican, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.